Welcome to the Grit Outdoor Collective podcast. My name is Caleb Mathewson, and I'm a personal trainer, fly fishing guide, an outdoorsman, an ultra runner, and a traditional archer. And you know, ever since I was a little kid, my passions have always revolved around fitness and the outdoors. And so the only thing that made sense to me was to figure out a way to connect with people that share the same passions. You know, the Grit Outdoor Collective podcast is about sharing the stories of outdoors men and women that work hard and that live the outdoors lifestyle whether that's hunting, fishing, backpacking, camping, or some kind of outdoor fitness, I believe their stories need to be told because these are some of the best people on the planet. They take the road less traveled and they work hard and they do hard things and that's the grit mindset. So follow along with us on the Grit Collective Podcast. All right, here we go. Welcome to the Grit Outdoor Collective Podcast. Um, Today, our guest is Devin Riley. I hope I said the last name right. Yes, sir. Um, thanks a lot for being on. Devin lives in Wyoming. I didn't ask you what town. Um, I'm, out of Ro- I'm out of Rosette, Wyoming. Rosette, okay, got it. Um, so from Wyoming, hunter, outdoor enthusiast. I've seen fly fishing stuff. I've seen a little bit of everything. Um, so yeah, thanks a lot for being on, man. I sure appreciate it. You bet. It's an honor. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so Rosette, Wyoming. I actually don't know where that is. So it's about fifteen miles east of Gillette, and okay. so I was yeah. born and raised in Sheridan, Wyoming, and oh. Oh. I actually, yeah. So that's how you know you had Sam on. That's how I actually worked with Sam for eight years at the ranch we both worked for, and uh, got to know him really well. Um, he taught me a lot of stuff along with other guys at that ranch. And then I was also rodeoing professionally at the same time. So I was traveling all over the country. And so it's it kind of the perfect schedule. I would go rodeo for nine months and then I'd come back and guide and hunt for three. And yeah. it was it was the perfect life. And uh, so anyway, I did that, met a gal, um, and I ended up getting injured in rodeo. Uh, so I had to retire from that. And I thought, like we talked before the podcast, I thought she was the one. So I moved over to Gillette and that didn't pan out. And then the pandemic all happened and all the properties skyrocketed. So mm, yeah. I couldn't, uh, I wanted to move back to Sheridan, but I just couldn't, uh, I couldn't afford anything. And then jobs were kind of scarce and for what I was looking for. And I found a piece of property out here in Rosette that's, you know, like I said, 15 miles out of town and I actually, my neighbor's one of my good rodeo buddies. So he's right across the road at 300 yards across the road and we help each other out. We work on projects around the house and get to flip him shit every now and then. And it's actually perfect. I can shoot my guns out here. I can shoot my bow, uh, you know, and, and Sheridan's only an hour and a half drive over there. So, yeah, and it's kind of a perfect little, um, right in the middle. Cause I'm only an hour and a half from Deadwood and I'm only an hour and a half from Sheridan. So it, it actually works out pretty good. Nice. Yeah, that's great. I've been, I've been to Sheridan a few times and it's a man that's if if we were going to move out of, out of Colorado, which we'd like to. Yeah. Cause I actually, I grew up, I grew up in um, Paradise Valley, which is just North of the national park, Yellowstone national park in Montana. Okay. Where I grew up. Yeah. So Sheridan's actually not terribly far um, from places that I live. Like Billings is where all my family is now. Okay. I got a lot of family in Montana. So all my mom's side of the family's in Montana. So whenever we have functions, I drive up there and like over the whole state. <laughs> so I'm pretty versed in Montana. Yeah. 
Um, so what did you do when you said you did rodeo? What was your main, um, what was your, what were your main events or what did you do when you were doing rodeo compete or? Yep. So I actually, um, I was a bareback rider for 10 years and for people listening that don't know what a bareback rider is, you take a suitcase kind of handle, put it on the wither of a horse and that's all you hang on to for eight seconds and you get judged on spurring the horse in the neck, being exposed. It's kind of being controlled. It's like a wild, but also being controlled, but also out of control. Yeah. So I did that. I actually started late. I didn't rodeo in high school at all. I just was a football player, wrestler, graduated, and I wanted to do something, stay active. And my uncle's like, well, why don't you rodeo? And I was like, well, I really don't want to be chased by a bull. And I really don't have the money to buy a $2,000 saddle. So and I was a huge, I'm, I'm still a huge fan of Chris Ledoux. So right. listened to all his tapes and started yeah. learning, went to Casper College and kind of did like a little red shirt internship deal with the rodeo team and was lucky enough to have uh, uh, Kelly Timberman sign up for being the assistant coach. And for people that don't know, Kelly's the 04 world champion bareback rider. So I trained under him with some really good guys and ended up, rodeo paid for my schooling i rodeoed at casper college for two years got an associates then went to gillette college got another associates and then i went to tarleton state university in stephenville texas and rodeoed for them and then it was just full-blown going down the road rodeoing and then once because the rodeo season ends the, the beginning of october so once the beginning of october hit it was like well okay the season starts over but for me, it was perfect because I'd go straight into hunting season. And yeah. so my dad's a bighorn sheep guide. So I would go be a wrangler on the bighorn sheep hunts for him, helping him spot, move horses from feed to water, set up tents, chop wood, glass, help pack out, bring them horses when they needed. Uh, yeah. Did a lot of that. And then, like I said, I worked for that ranch with Sam and we'd be guiding hunters for three months, you know, hunting elk and deer and antelope, all the good stuff. And then once it hit about January, February, I would start hitting Denver and go down to Texas and San Antonio and Houston and all those big rodeos. And then I'd start over again. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I never did. I never did rodeo myself. Like I, you know, I rode and everything, but I never competed in rodeos. All my cousins did. Um, and they all did fairly well too. In, in my, I don't, I don't know if they have this in Wyoming, but in Montana, they have, they have the state rodeo queen. Yep. Yep. We have so that too. Yep. Yeah, so my, yeah, my cousin was the Montana state rodeo queen and I don't know how she got there, but somehow she did. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very similar to like pageants and all that different stuff, but just for rodeo and represent the sport. And yeah. Yeah. yeah so. That's really cool. Thanks, man. Um, and so you just did bareback. You didn't do like, I don't know what, I, cause I know there's different types of rodeos. Um, yeah. I just, I just did bareback. I, uh, I just wanted to be good at that event. I, I, I hopped on the bucket machine with Saddlebronc gear. I used to ride steers and calves, but just didn't really stick. And like a, like a calf roping horse, like a good one's $50,000 or more. Uh, I didn't have a truck or trailer finances were tight and, um, it was just all out of pocket for me. So and I was, I was built like a bareback rider. I'm five, nine, 160 pounds. So not, not the tallest, but not the shortest, but you know, right in that mid range. And it was just, it, it, it was, it was the event for me because when, like I told you before, I used to play football and wrestle 
like high school, I was only, I was still five, nine, but I weighed 140, but I love to hit people, man. It was my favorite. Like I, I could give a shit about scoring touchdowns. I could care about, uh, any of that stuff, but I loved being middle linebacker and hitting guys at the knees and just to have that kind of mental attitude of, Hey, this guy outweighs me by 50 pounds, but I can knock him on his ass if I take his knees out. You know what I mean? Uh, so that's what really drove me. And then wrestling taught me a lot about the mental game. There's a quote by, uh, oh man, I'm going to forget his name. Ugh, anyway, the quotes, uh, once you've wrestled, everything in life's easy. And I'm not saying that like, you know, there's certain things that you can't prepare for, but it certainly prepares you for adversity where you're cutting weight, you know, you're wrestling for four months. It's between November and February. So it's dark when you get to school and it's dark when you get home from practice. Yeah. Uh, you're just getting beat up every night for two hours in the wrestling room, coaches yelling at you, and then you're going out there and if you lose, it's all on you. So whatever effort you put in is what you get out of it. And nothing against team sports. I feel like they're great because how to work with people in the workplace, but you also got to figure out how to work with yourself. And I think it transfers over into the hunting world when you're out in the woods and it's 12 o'clock at night and it's cold and you got to find horses or you got to find your way back to the truck, you know, and you're not losing your mind. And you're like, some guys are worried like, Hey, there's mountain lions and bears out here. What's going to get me. It's like if you have that mentality of, hey, I'm just going to keep calm. I'm going to get back there. Or some guys lose their shit and then you can get lost or get hurt and all the other stuff, man. So I feel like it kind of all correlates. But I've always had that mentality of just, uh, I don't know. I'm not the biggest guy. So I like to badger would probably be my spirit animal. (laughs) We're going to pick one. That's right. But anyway, man, I just I've always had that mentality. So that's why bareback riding was kind of my jam and why I've chose to to do that event. Yeah, nice. And then how did your so once you got done with that, how did your fitness journey progress after that? Cuz I've seen like I was, I was looking at your Instagram and I've seen everything from, you know, bodybuilding comp- competitions to running marathons in the mountains. Yeah. Um, how did yeah, how did how did that how did that transition happen um after you were done with sports and then rodeo? You bet. So like I told you before, Kelly was my rodeo coach and, um, at Casper and he preached being in shape. Like I used to work out in high school a bit for the program and different stuff, but I always did body weight stuff. I didn't, uh, it didn't really click for some reason. Well, then Kelly was like, Hey, you know, when you're be a student of the game, you know, watch film, work out, ride the spur board, any way to practice. And, I was hook line sinker because I felt like I was behind everyone in the sport. So I really started my fitness journey there and had some good buddies like my buddy, Zach, that's my neighbor. I was telling you about, uh, we worked out hard and it was always a competition. And then when you get out of rodeo, um, I never served in the military, so I, I wouldn't exactly know, but I, I would say it's very similar to getting out of the military because you're used to 10 years going down the road, seeing all your buddies at every rodeo, you know, you're with these guys longer than you're with your girlfriend or your wife 24 seven. The only time you don't see them is if they're shitting or they're showering. So you're eating with them, sleeping in the same bed. Like you just get used to lifestyle and you get used to seeing those guys. So then, and you, you really put your identity into that sport. And when you get out of it, it's like, who am I? What am I doing? Like, right. what's the purpose of life? I used to think it was getting on bucking horses and having a cold beer after I rode with my buddies. Now it's, 
it's uh, nine to five. And what am I working towards now? My goals have all changed. So, and I don't do very good sitting still. I've, <laughs> if anyone knows me, they know that I'm always doing something. So I was like, well, I'm not rodeoing this year. What's my next goal? So I was like, what's the biggest bucket list stuff that people do? And I was like, I need to, like, I even bought books trying to figure out what's my why, you know, like it was oh, just, right. you're just searching, you're in the morning, you go to work and you're just thinking about it all day. Um, anyway, I, and I won't train for something unless I like, I'm invested. So I saw this bodybuilding show that came up, it was going to be in my hometown. It was their first one they're putting on. So it's not going to be a monster one. So I'm like, okay, this would be low key, something I can work towards. I, I paid the entry fee of a hundred dollars or whatever it was. And I was like, all right, I'm in, I'm committed. Like how, so I hired a trainer, uh, hired a nutritionist, started crushing the weights, crushing the food, um, doing all the stuff, working on a fitness routine, posing routine, and then just really going down the rabbit hole. And like you said earlier was once you, know the way in one thing you kind of know the way in all things so I kind of took the stuff I learned from wrestling football rodeo and put it into this bodybuilding deal and it was it was a good strenuous six months like I ended up I was weighing 180 at the beginning of it and I dropped down to 155 so I lost quite a bit of weight muscle all the stuff uh I ended up second at the show like I said it wasn't the biggest show there's three guys in my division um one guy, I think he just he just had more muscle than me, but I was definitely probably the most shredded up there. I had a fun routine, and it was just a it was a good experience for for doing my first one, and I actually gained a lot of respect for people in that community because when you look at bodybuilders, you're like, look at these big, you know, jacked up apes that are egotistical flexing in the mirror, <laughs> but you put yourself into that situation. You're like, okay, damn, these guys are dedicated, like next level. And you can see where their motivation lies and they go through that all that struggle. So then yeah. so that was cool to experience that. And then um, you know, I went through hunting season, did all that stuff. And actually, you would like this. Before I did the bodybuilding deal, I was with my buddy's a personal trainer out of Colorado. He's actually moving to Montana. His name's Doug Champion with Champion Living Fitness. Oh yeah, um, I, know, I know the name. Yeah, he's a he's a great dude. And I told him uh, we did some um, stuff for my podcast and uh, and his program. Like, because I had him on my show, and boom, he's like, "Man, I got ten new people I'm training because of the show." So we did a little ad trade, and he trained me for a year. And I told him, "I was like, man, I just want to get strong." So we programmed it out, did all the stuff and a testament to his program. I'm not trying to pitch you his stuff, but as a plug, but like, this is what it did for me. I'm just being honest. Uh, like I said, at the time I was weighing like 160 and he had me back squat 225 for a 20 rep max. Oh goodness. So I did that in one set. This is like when I was at my peak of my strength, he had me deadlifting 420 pounds and I, I'm like doing all this with, I have some health issues that I really, I mean, we can talk about it, but it's just some stuff I'm working through, just rodeo and stuff. You know what I mean? So anyway, uh, he had me pulling that. I think I back squatted 315 for a one rep max. So he got me strong. Plus on top of that, we were doing the rower and we were doing intervals, building up that uh, our anaerobic capacity. I'm probably butchering that. Um, no, you're right. Anyway, anyway man, uh, he had me 
do like as a starter, we would do a 10 K on the rower, see how fast I can do it. I think it took me like 45 minutes. Then we would start the training and do five rounds of 30 seconds on 30 seconds off and try to keep the same calorie count or the, the rep range or the same RPMs. So then it, then it, after that, it went to seven rounds, 12 rounds, 14 rounds. Then it went to one minute on one minute off. Then it went to two and a half minutes on two and a half minutes off. And we slowly built that volume. And I went elk hunting that year with my cousin. And my goal was to kill a bull elk with my recurve. And man, I was up there for two solid weeks of switching jobs so I could do it right. And dude, I was sprinting up those mountains. My cousin killed a bull the first week. It was just a, a raghorn bull. We've deboned it. We each carried out a half an elk apiece about three miles back to the truck. Dang. And I felt good. The next day I took the day off and then I hiked back in there because my dad, I think was hunting somewhere with horses. So I couldn't ride in. So I hiked in there and then I ended up killing a whore, uh, killing a, a bull elk with my recurve like a couple days before the ending of archery season. And it was next level. Like that fitness really changed my confidence in the mountains. I felt like I was, um, I didn't care what hole they were in. I didn't care how far up the face or the, back side of the mountain or even down into some hole wherever they were I was going after them wherever they bugled I was all in so yeah. um that was just the mindset that it changed for me and then um going into the marathon um after that season of the <clears throat> of doing the bodybuilding deal I was like well what's my next thing what's the next thing that guys do to train to get in shape or just a bucket list thing. I was like, well, a lot of people talk about doing marathons. I was like, that'd be sweet to just say I did one, right? Just mark it off the bucket list kind of thing. So I was looking at marathons online and I saw there was one in Red Lodge. It's like the off backcountry off-road race or the, no, the nitty gritty off-road race in Red Lodge. And it's like, Hey, it's low key. You can run with your dog. I was like, perfect. I didn't even look at the track. <laughs> Anyway, so I entered, I put my 40, 50 bucks down on this marathon and I started training. I downloaded a free training app off of like runner's world or something. And this is three, most people train for marathons like six months ahead of time. And I was doing it half of that. I started three months ahead of the marathon. So anyway, started running and I was like, I need to get some new shoes. I need to get a new mindset. Cause like the farthest I've ever run at one time was probably five, six miles. So, you know, you start off doing three miles one day, take a break. Next day you run five miles, take a break. Then you do your long runs on Sunday and they had it all strategically planned out. Right. Um, anyway, going through the summer, just hammering down some miles. Um, and then also on top of that, I'm a UPS driver. So I'd go run 10 miles in the morning and then I'd get, go to work and I'd walk 10 miles during the day. Right. So like I was, really depleting my, um, just calories, muscle, all the stuff. Like I was losing some weight and I probably wasn't eating the best. I was going through some relationship stuff and ended up, uh, right before the marathon, probably two or three weeks before I ended up broke up with my girlfriend of four and a half years. So that was like, everyone knows we're going through a breakup, how stressful it is and trying to find a place to live and everything with that entails that. And I'm not here to go down that rabbit hole on that subject, but, uh, anyway, Went up and ran the marathon. A buddy of mine out of Casper, his name's Seth Corson, he uh, entered it with me and wanted to run with me because he was seeing the stories I was putting on my Instagram and my splits. And 
it was funny because he'd be like, yeah, that's a good time. He'd go run the same distance and just crush my split. <laughs> and I was like, oh, dude. So it motivated me. We'd start motivating each other. And then anyway, we showed up to Red Lodge. And if anyone that's ever skied Red Lodge, the marathon's held at the ski resort. So that's you, no flat race. No. So what happens is there's six laps. You start at the lodge and you pretty much hike up like a double diamond going all the way up about a thousand yards up. Then you run down a truck path, run back up another hill, hit some switch bags, switch backs, hit the top, run down a logging road, hit another road that cuts down off the mountain, you get off the mountain, go hike back up the mountain, then hit a tr another logging trail, run down the mountain until you hit some switchbacks, and then you hit the parking lot and run up to the lodge again. So each lap, you have a 1,200-foot elevation gain per lap. Wow. And then you run, you know, six laps. <laughs> so I think my, I made a post on my Instagram about how much elevation gain total and all that different stuff, but it was gnarly. Like there was probably 20 people running the marathon maybe 15. And, um, I actually ended up winning it. Nice. <laughs> I ended up, I ran the thing in five and a half hours. And what I really liked about it that, I mean, getting the W was great, but what I took from it that was the most valuable to me was, uh, around lap five, I hit the switchbacks and I got so dizzy. I thought I was going to keel over and pass out. And I was like, okay, like those little voices in my head started coming in that were like, hey, people quit marathons all the time. It's okay. Your safety's first, you know, you know, people will understand all this stuff. And I was like, oh, they were coming in. I was like, nah, screw that. We're not doing that today. So I was like, this is my game plan switched. I'm like, I'm going to walk the uphills and I'll run the downhills. And so I switched that, my mentality, I started hiking up the hills and then running down got back and luckily like I had my mom there she was handing out like hammer gels to me and uh, Gatorades and different little stuff to keep me going and I got back for the last lap I remember I pounded like a Dr. Pepper a Gatorade a hammer gel and I grabbed my dog Jocko and uh, we ran that last lap and ended up getting it done in like five and a half hours and like winning it was great but I think that that adversity right there in the middle of the fifth lap where I wanted to break. And that's something that um, I think everyone that's motivated is trying to chase. They're trying to, you hear about it with Cameron Haynes. You hear about it with David Goggins. You hear about it with just guys doing different things. They're just trying to find the things that break them and yeah. hit that wall. And once they hit that wall, they're like, okay, there's my limit. How do I push it further? How do I push it further? And then we see these guys like Cam Haynes that he's hit that wall so much that his capacity is way more than a normal person just yeah. because of years of training. So it was good. I really wanted to have that test and to hit that wall. And oh man, I grew so much from that experience. So anyway, that was that fitness journey with yeah. uh, the marathon. And then after that, like I'm, I got another goal this year. It's not so much physical, but uh, it's more mental and a different grind. So I'm excited to do that and staying steadfast with it. So do you want to, do you want to talk about what that is? With your uh, yeah, I can, ex I won't go to, I won't say what exactly it is like the okay. name of the book, but um, I'm actually yeah. narrating an audio book. Oh, right, so yeah. 
Yeah, that's my new test. So I started it, I think in March. I'm over halfway done now. Um, it's like a 400 page book. So like yeah. most people, I think probably would start off with maybe 150 page book. Yeah, that's, or, a, that's a challenge. <laughs> yeah, man. So it's, and I'm like, I haven't had anyone teaching me any of this stuff. So like, I've just been YouTube and Googling and yeah. just trying to figure it out. So anyway, that's what I've been doing. So every weekend that I'm free, I try to read a chapter, go out and do something in the yard for an hour, come back in, read another chapter. And I've noticed after, you know, reading four chapters that, you know, your voice gets tired, your enthusiasm drains and it's, and I want to make sure when people listen to it, they're getting the, they feel the energy, they feel, I want to make sure I'm hundred percent present and it's a, it's a different grind. So putting like an audiobook along with a normal job, trying to run my own little social media stuff, like it is, there's a lot, um, but it's, it's the, I put it on myself so I can't complain. So yeah. Anyway, that's that's what I'm working on this year. And then who knows what the next year will bring. Maybe I'll just do skydiving, make it simple. <laughs> yeah. Next bucket list thing that people right. want to do. Yeah, man. Yeah. No, that's cool. Um, so you just got – so tell me about your, your trip to Australia. You yeah. Got, you, were, you were hunting there for – I don't know when, when that was exactly, but I saw pictures. Yeah, man. I went to uh, – went down to New South Wales and how this all came about. I actually, so like I told you before on one of my podcasts, I had a guy from Australia that listened to it and he would, you know, how on Instagram you can be listening to something, make a little story and you know, he tagged me in it. And so I messaged him. I'm like, Hey man, like, thanks for listening to my show. And he was making jerky at the time. And I was like, what jerky are you making? He's like, ah, oh, mate, it's phallic jerky. I'm like, <laughs> dude, I would love to, hunt a fallow deer someday he's like well come on down mate like get a ticket <laughs> i was like man like where i was at in my life at the time i uh, finances were a little tight and time and vacation and all the stuff and i didn't know this guy you know what i mean so anyway we me and this guy turned out to be snapchat instagram pin pals and it would we would almost talk probably almost every day and he had messaged me about the time because what time is it now? It's two thirty in the afternoon. So it's probably like eight in the morning there, seven, eight in the morning there. I'm guessing I'm, I'm probably a little off, but anyway, so they're a day ahead of us. So we would talk, I would talk to him all afternoon into the night. And then I would mess, then he would message me the next afternoon. And we just became really good friends. Like he used to ride bull, uh, used to fight bulls and hunted, did all the stuff. So we really hit it off. And then, here this last February, I was like, man, I would love to do that. Or actually, no, it was last November, excuse me, because that's when I put in for my vacation. Anyway, I was like, man, is it still cool I come down? He's like, yeah. I'm like, when are the fallow going to be rutting? He's like, they probably be rutting around March, April-ish. And he said his vacation was like mid, mid-April. mid So I put my vacation in for mid-April and bought a ticket, flew down there. And he picked me up from the airport and he flipped me off right when I saw him. So I was like, ah, this, this is going to be great. So, and we hit it right off. Like this guy is, you know, salt of the earth, really, really good dude. And he asked me, he's like, what are your goals? I was like, man, I really have no expectations. I just want to see Australia. I want to do Aussie things. I want to drink Aussie beer. I want to have some Aussie food. Like, and I don't, I was like, I don't really care to do too much of the tourist stuff. So just, I just want to see how you guys live and just, relax and get out of the hustle and bustle of my world. So 
Um, I flew down with my recurve um, and my luggage and it actually missed uh, the flight, the connecting flight. So like I flew from Denver to Vancouver and then from Vancouver to Sydney. And when I landed, the, the flight from Denver got delayed. Uh, delayed. So I land in Vancouver at 10.50 at night and we we're supposed to fly out at 10.50 or board at 10.50 in Vancouver to go to Australia. So I got off my plane, hustled over, had to go through customs again because you're entering a new country, passport stuff. They had to go through security again, even though you're in the airport. Then, so then my binoculars flagged. So I'm like losing my mind. I'm like, God, anyway, she, she let me go and I got to uh, my flight and they were on boarding group four and I was boarding group three. So I was like, okay, I made it, but my, my bags with my bow didn't make it. So the first couple days, uh, we just hung out. He showed me around the property where it'd be hunting, um, drink some beer. <laughs> I tried to take a lot of pictures, saw a lot of kangaroos and wallabies and, you know, saw some fallow does, a couple of, you could hear the, you could hear the bucks croaking in the background, which was yeah. awesome. Um, then, uh, anyway, he just kind of showed me around, got to meet some of his friends. And then we actually had a good friend of his pick up my bags from the, the Tamworth airport. And we met her halfway and got my stuff. So then the next day that, that afternoon we set up my bow and then we went up on the property hunting and, we got into this river bottom, hiked up over this ridge, dropped down into this cut and worked our way up. And then fallow deer, they have uh, like scrapes like an elk would. Um, but like, you know, like an elk will, you know, mainly just rub one tree. Like they'll rub trees in this this area. And then they'll have like a, a big patch of dirt, like a white till rake and rub up. But it's, it's probably the size of a trampoline that they rake up and tear up and bed and piss and do all this stuff in there and croak and hang out their little hangout spot. So, you know, we were walking through these trees and they're croaking and he'd try to rattle them in and we'd see a glimpse of a buck here and there, but the, the, the terrain's different than it is like in Montana, Wyoming. It's more, a lot of gum trees, a lot of thick brush, but all that brush there will like bite you, stab you and stick you probably worse than Texas. <laughs> like yeah. they, uh, like everything has a thorn. Um, one time I knelt down and a piece of a barb of this thorn went into my kneecap, probably about a half inch. Like, so we had to pull that out. Luckily he had pliers. Um, and it didn't break off in there. Thank God. Saw some big spider webs. And then when the brush gets thick, like it's pretty much like a maze of tunnels to get through. Yeah. I've heard um, everything down there is trying to kill you. Yeah. And luckily we weren't, around where crocs were but you know there are definitely spiders and uh snakes but luckily i didn't see no snakes or no spiders so yeah. but um the just the wildlife and the bird sounds and the smells and um you'd be sneaking through and you'd hear something in the brush and out would bust some wallabies or a kangaroo and seeing those was just a, i felt like i was on another planet it was so yeah. awesome but yeah. I remember hiking up this ridge and we jumped this fallow buck at 60 yards. It just big old chocolate, big old rack. And I was so excited. Like I did, but I also was like, ah, oh, didn't know what to do either. Cause I didn't know how they react, you know, compared to say mule deer or whitetail. And it was different because they over there, they don't have any natural predators like coyotes, bears, wolves, all that stuff. Uh, so like, if you're wearing like brown or something, you pop out, like they'll stop and look at you for a second, then kind of slowly move off because humans are pretty close to a, a big gray roux. 
So they're not as yeah. flighty, but they still know that nah, this isn't something's up, right? Anyway, we snuck into this spot that he called the V where two drainages came down into this cut. And it was just a rut fest like you'd have for elk, but they're just croaking. And like these, a fallow deer bucks about the size of probably a big, big Midwestern whitetail or a, you know, about the size of a mule deer is probably what I'd relate their size to. And for people listening, they got like the front end of an elk antler, you know, so they have one eye guard and then they have another point where the third on an elk would be. And then their antler comes up and palmates with some points like a moose would and then wrap inward. Yeah. And they almost sound like a big gnarly toad or a frog croaking. Yeah. And then, the, and then the does, they, they don't, they bleat, but it's like, they're like me, me is kind of how they sound. So it's, it's, it's just different. It's cool. Wow. Um, but we got into him. He, my buddy, uh, Simon, who I was hunting with at I stayed at his place. He uh, called in some younger bucks into 30, 40 yards. Uh, there was a big one up there on the hillside. I got some footage of, and I got to probably 70 yards, but then it got dark on us that first night. So that was cool. We hiked out of there, uh, got back the next morning, got into them, and I got probably 40 yards from a buck. But like I said, it's so thick and just trying to figure out you know, and then you're hunting with a new hunting partner. So you're trying to get on the same page as well and how they do it. And Simon, he's killed a lot with uh, his rifle, but he was just starting to get into archery hunting himself. So he just got himself a Matthews and I'm over there trying to get it done with a recurve. And anyway, we got close. I come up out of this drainage and get to this top benchy flat and I come up and there's three bucks right there at probably 30 yards. So I, I froze and then they both went back to eating. I'm like, you look, they looked right at me. So I'm like, yeah. they must've thought I was a kangaroo or something. So I knelt down and one fed into like 20 yards. I could have shot him, but he was just a, just a raghorn pretty much like you would just a two or three year old buck. And I was holding out for a, you know, a nice one. And anyway, got into some that day and it didn't pan out the next day woke up and it's just foggy. Like it's like them good September fogs with just a light drizzle where usually elk are screaming their heads off. Yeah. And that day we didn't hear a peep out of a fallow buck. It was just dead. And so we ended up running into uh, some pigs. We could hear them oinking and squealing and carrying on. So I snuck in on them, ended up busting them. The wind switched and then they got on a steep side hill with just big old spider webs, rolling rocks. And the thing about the terrain there is that it looks green and grassy, but underneath there's probably a baseball to a football size little rock or boulder that you step on and roll your ankle almost every step. Or you'd see a, you know, a big thick piece of brush and like, Oh, I can step on that or at least pivot off of it. And it sinks in about a foot. (laughs) So it was, it was hard to get used to walking on the terrain. Anyway. So I get in the thick stuff with these pigs and I'm probably 10, 15 yards from a group of five to 10 pigs, but I can't see them. And it's so thick that I don't know if I can even draw my bow back. And like at one point there was a window through the brush. I could see this pig at probably 10 yards, but I would have to shoot through like the size of like a coffee cup. And I'm like, I'm not going to, you know, shoot. And all I could see was the back end of this pig. And I'm like, anyway, so I kept crawling through trying to get close to these pigs, no dice, couldn't get in there on them. Um, I got some footage of them out when we were on the side hill and tried to get back in on them, but 
it was just so weird that you'd be right there on top of them. It's so thick, can't get a shot. So, yeah. and they were just a bunch of sows and piglets that we walked in on. Um, anyway, the next day, same thing, foggy, no, no deer croaking. I'm actually at this point starting to run out of time. And I think if, got, if I would have got there maybe two weeks earlier, I th- I know we would have got it done um, with a bow. Um, I'm sure a lot of people thought I got it done with a recurve, uh, but I, I made the executive decision. I'm like, man, I'm over here. I'm not married to this bow. There's no season for archery versus rifle. I'm like, man, let's switch over to a rifle and we'll go out and see if we can get one here. Like, And I told him, I was like, I'm not, I have no goals of killing one, but if we kill one, I'm like, I'm not going to turn it down, right? So we went out, got in on some, nothing that were shooters, uh, get into this open hillside. We're coming up over and boom, there's a good buck with about five or six does. He's like, man, you need to shoot that one. So he's on the move. He's about ready to leave country. And I shoot, get I hit him. He goes over in the brush, hit him another time, put him down, get up there. And man, they're just so cool. <laughs> they're, um, yeah just the they got the different colors like there's white ones there's chocolate ones there's these metal colored ones with all the spots yeah and like i got a darker metal was his color and he had some big cool gnarly tops broke off some points um i would say he was probably a middle-aged buck there's definitely some ones that are a little bit older but he definitely wasn't the he wasn't the youngest one on the mountain so it was cool to get that we went back cut him up the next morning man they taste delicious like i would I would say they're anywhere between like a mule deer and a whitetail, you know, but, and even like kind of like an elk too. Like they're, they're just a good tasting animal. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, so we boiled out the skull, did all the good stuff like that. And, uh, after that, then it was just, we went down saw some of his mates in some other towns, drank some beers with them, went fishing, got all the, got all this stuff. And it was just a great time. Like the, the culture down there, the way they spoke, the way they treated you, it was just like, there was no bullshit. Like if they like you, they like you. If they don't, they don't. And it was yeah. honestly worth every penny. Like if I got a buck, it was, if you know, that it definitely added to the trip, but it like, for me, the best thing about it was just meeting like-minded people and just seeing that there's good people all over the world. Yeah, definitely. So no, it was a good trip. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it sounds sounds like fun. I've I've always wanted to get either there or probably New Zealand, more likely, just to hunt something there because I know there's a ton of different animals, and it's the same as Australia. There's not like a natural predator, and so it's kind of a different hunting experience than it is here. Mm-hmm. And um, and and there's just you know it's just crazy terrain, and you know plus I get to kind of feel like I'm hunting where Lord of the Rings was filmed and all that. So <laughs> <laughs> you bet, man. It's uh. And it was cool just to, I was giving those boys some shit when I was over there. I was like, do you ever feel like you just live on a big island? <laughs> they're like, every day, mate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, so one of the, one of the things that, and I'm, I'm new, I'm new at all this, this whole, the podcast and the, you know, social media stuff. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out and learn it. And, you know, one of the things, like one of the reasons I wanted to start trying to build some semblance of a brand is because. Cause I, I like the, um, I really like kind of the old school, simple style of outdoors, hunting, fishing. So like when I'm fly fishing, I try to use as little equipment as I can as, you know, dry flies, old school as possible. Like that's my thing. And then when I'm hunting, 
I try to, you know, I hunt with a recurve most of the time. This last year was all rifle, but, um, but I've, I've not bow hunted with a compound. It's only been with a recurve. And so, um, and I'm kind of new to that. I'm new to the whole bow hunting thing too. So, um, and you, so you said you shot like most of your bow hunting has been with a, with a recurve, correct? Yeah, it has. Uh, do you want me to go down kind of how I switched into recurve and the kind of the backstory on it? Did you shoot a Did you shoot a compound before? So when I was young, uh, I'm talking probably like 11, 12, 13. I always shot. I shot a compound, but I did it with split fingers and open sights. Okay. Like I remember pulling that. Com- I shot a PSE Spider for guys that remember that bow. Oh yeah. I, yeah. So I shot that. I actually killed a bear when I was 13 with that bow, split fingers, open sights, and I remember at 20 yards, I had to hold the tip of the arrow two feet to the right and about a foot high. I don't know. That was my aiming style. Then, uh, it, my aiming styles definitely changed a lot over the years, but I, I shot like that. And my mom's side of the family, they put on bow shoots. So my uncle helped out putting on the Bridger, uh, no, the bear pop Bowman up around Chinook, Haver, Montana area. Okay. And then my cousin, Billy, my uncle, um, the same uncle that put the bow shoot on in Montana, his son, he put on he puts on the Bridger Bowman shoot with his buddies there out of Bozeman, and so this year it'll be the first weekend in June, and it's going to be the first time it's a two day shoot, and so I would go to these shoots with my mom and dad and my uncle, huge, so he's the most passionate human I've ever met about traditional archery, and he would give you a hard time if you shot with a compound. He'd be like, "Oh, shoot them training wheels, huh?" But he never gave me a hard time for shooting a compound with split fingers and open sights. Yeah. And so, um, I shot, I've always kind of just always had the recurve in my hand. Like I shot my, when I was 16, I shot my dad's 64 inch recurve and it was 66 pounds at 28 inches when I was 16. And it was hard to pull back. I'm sure I was a snap shooter. Um, I did pretty well with it. Um, never hunted with it. Um, I saw my dad kill a couple bull elk with it and I was like, man, that's cool. And then when I was in high school, as a graduation present, my dad got me a, a compound bow for, for my, for graduating. Cause I remember that year, uh, was my, so my senior year, my cousin, a different cousin on my dad's side gave me a compound bow and I ended up killing a bull elk with it my senior year. Um, I remember my dad called him in, came, came through the trees, had to tip his head back to get into this little opening. And he's at probably... 10 yards, 15 yards, rips off a bugle. And I'm sitting there at full draw with this compound and he was quarter two. So I put it between his neck and the front of his shoulder and it went through that, that crease and went through the, through his heart, lungs, all of them came out the backside of him and ended up killing. He was probably like a two ninety bull, I would say. So that was cool to get with my, uh, with a bow. And so, but it was like, I was shooting, like the, I think it was a Buckmaster bow. So it was an old, uh, oh, yeah. I think I still had like the old true. What's that? Jennings made those. Is that right? I don't remember who made them. I just remember it was a Buckmaster and I was shooting like true glow sights that were like 24 bucks off the shelf arrows that I'm sure didn't work. My release was like 10 bucks. Like I just worked. I just, I figured out how to get accurate out to 30 yards with it. Um, anyway, um, I wanted a new bow. So dad, we ended up at the time I graduated in 2010 and I remember I got a, a buddy of mine was selling a Matthew switchback XT and 
it's I shot I tra- I tested a lot of different bows out. Like I shot some Hoyts, I shot some Matthews, and my buddy had that, and I just remember it was so quiet. So I ended up buying that. My dad bought that for me from that from that guy and put a seven deadly pin spot hog sight on it and got some arrows, got a good release and got where I was shooting accurate. The only thing about that bow was I, my draw length probably 27, 28 inches and the bow is 29. So I was definitely drawing past my ear, but yeah. I remember I shot probably three or four deer with it over like just through college. You know, I'd come home, sit in the tree stand, shoot a white tail. Uh, I never really chased, uh, antelope i did kill an antelope with that buckmaster bow my senior year of high school um and then i just for some reason man i what what i remember was the deciding factor of switching when i was in college i just never practiced with it i never had the dedication i just remember my bow was sighted in i knew this pin was 50 all i had to do is hold the pin on have a good squeeze on my release and the arrow went there so i i honestly didn't practice and i felt like it wasn't uh one, it wasn't really ethical and it wasn't fair to the animal that I was trying to kill that I wasn't practicing with it. And I just, I didn't have that feeling of challenge. And hopefully people listening don't feel like I'm being an asshole and saying that compounds aren't a challenge. It's definitely too easy. Shot too many animals. (laughs) No, not saying that at all. It's definitely work and a challenge, but honestly, for me, it wasn't filling that fire of archery and, um, Anyway, so a buddy of mine that's friends with my cousin, Billy, out of Bozeman, at the time he was making recurve bows and he was the owner of RER Bows out of Bozeman. And so I was rodeoing at the time. I told him I wanted a recurve. I told him my specs. I was like, man, I'd like a 60-inch bow, you know, around 55 pounds, a 28. And I was like, you just kind of make it whatever you think. So he made it. Um, it he made it out of Osage Orange and Tiger Stripe Myrtle. Wow. And turned out it was very pretty. And I didn't realize because at first it almost looked yellow because that Osage was so bright yeah. and vibrant. And I was like, man, everything's going to see me with this. He's like, dude, when the sun hits it, it'll age, you know, it'll be darker than that Myrtle. And now yeah. it's so dark. And that I that Osage is actually a really, really strong, durable wood. Yeah. And I didn't realize this. this is a fun fact for your listeners that if you burn Osage orange in a wood burning stove, it'll actually melt the stove because it burns so hot. No way. Yeah, the, I didn't know that. I knew it was a good wood for bows because it seems like every, you know, custom traditional bow company uses it for something, but I didn't know it burned like that. It's yeah, insane. it's very strong and durable and it's a hardy wood. Uh, anyway, so he made me that recurve and I was like, all right, I'm going to kill some stuff with this. Like uh, this is, and I shot it all, all fall and I chased elk with it. I had a shot at a couple elk missed a couple elk and I was, and they were probably at 30 yards and in and I missed yeah. them. And I was like, okay, like with a compound, I know I would have got them. But so then it was like my mission to kill an elk with a recurve. And I remember sitting in my tree stand at my dad's place and I had this white tail buck come down, sit on a scrape, rubbing the scrape at 17 yards, draw back, pick my spot, let her fly right in the crease, right in that, that golden triangle area. He ran, I think he runs 50 yards, sits there, does the wobble and drops like the fastest kill I've ever seen. Yeah. It's awesome. And and white tail are tough. And to see him go down that fast with traditional gear and he wasn't a bad buck. I would say he's around that 110, 120, just a decent representation of a white tail in Wyoming. I know they're bigger than that in some spots, but 
And after that, man, I was hooked. And it's funny to see how what I've learned from shooting a recurve was the different, like I grew a lot with it. It taught me a lot about myself for one, but two, if you put the me shooting it when I first started in 2017, and then you put me next to, with that same bow at 2023, shoot it different, um, different person, and I'm way more accurate with it now. And yeah. I got a I got a pretty foolproof foolproof system that I shoot now. So like some guys are like, there's different aiming styles as you know. You got like point on, you got gap shooting. Uh, you got all that different stuff. Um, but now I've got a system that as of right now, I'm excited to see if I go away from it or if I stick with it or what else morphs of it. But, um, I'm pretty stoked for it with it because this fall I actually drew a moose tag <laughs> in Wyoming. Oh dude, that's awesome. Yeah. I drew, um, I've been putting in for over 20 years and drew it in a, in an area that's got some decent moose, some good moose. And, um, my goal is to kill it with my recurve. And that's awesome. That's yeah. So gonna be shooting it a lot this summer. Yeah. That's so cool. Um yeah, well good so that's the moose hunts this this fall. This fall, yeah. Okay. We still haven't got our draw results yet in Colorado, so gotcha. Uh, yeah. That's that's gonna be that's gonna be amazing. For sure. Well, yeah. Well I'll uh yeah, thanks a lot for being on. I sure appreciate it. And and man, I you know, I I've seen what I see what you're doing on with your podcast, I've listened to the blazing trails one and social media. And, and I'm just, I'm just impressed by what you're doing. And, um, you know, obviously a hardworking guy and, um, you know, I, I just, like you say, it's like similar to talking to Sam is, you know, people that just that super positive and work hard and love the outdoors and love being in shape and enjoying, you know, every ounce of everything out of life they can get. So you bet, man. Hey, thanks for checking out this episode of the Grit Outdoor Collective Podcast with Devin Riley. You know, we had some recording issues there at the end, so I didn't get a chance to have him share uh, where you can find him on social media. So there's a few ways you can find him. Number one, um, you can find him on his Instagram at Devin Riley, um, and that's D-E-V-A-N is his first name. That's Devin Riley, and you can find him there. And second of all, um, you can also find his podcast that he's been doing called Top Dog Hunt Podcast, which is all about his passion of, of hunting coyotes, um, with one of his friends and so make sure and give that a listen um, that's on spotify and apple Podcasts as well so i want to thank devin for being on the podcast again um and he's, he's just a cool guy and, and we had a lot of fun talking about hunting and, and traditional archery and we're definitely going to have him on the podcast again soon um, if we can find the time so uh, thanks again devin and thanks for listening to the outdoor collective podcast